Welcome aboard the Power Up with Manal podcast, your go-to source for inspiring entrepreneurship, leadership, and mental fitness development. Get ready to push your limits mentally and come away feeling like a turbocharged version of yourself. Let's power up our lives. On this week's episode, we have the one and only Mr. Ken Rusk. He is a best-selling author, entrepreneur, and blue-collar advocate, proving that you do not need to follow traditional paths and journeys for comfort, peace, and freedom. Ken shares how he started his first job as a ditch digger at 15 and turned it into a successful company. He has written a top-charting book about his wisdoms called Blue Collar Cash. I cannot wait for you to get a dose of Mr. Rusk and his inspiration. Ken Rusk, thank you so much for joining our podcast today. Your story, your journey, one has inspired me. Um, I read your LinkedIn and the tagline is uh, ditch digger, author, entrepreneur. So I'm sure we're going to learn a lot about that today. Um, If you could take a moment, introduce yourself to our audience and also share your journey of how you got to where you are today and we'll take it from there. Well, again, um, Manal, I really appreciate you having me on. It's it's um, it's a pleasure to speak with you today, and it's an important subject. So, you know, for me, I, I'm Ken Ruskin. I'm the the um, president of Rusk Industries, which is a construction concern that owns uh, various different types of construction um, en- entities and whatnot. And um, you know, my my journey was interesting. You mentioned ditch digger, and you know, I have to tell you, when, when I was 15 years old. My um, my work journey started. I, I had a bunch of little part-time jobs before that, but my first real full-time job was when I was 15. And my high school shared a fence with an industrial park, and there was a hole in that fence that we would go through to get to the carryout after school. So we'd have to go through this industrial park to get there. And there was always all this really cool energy and vibe going on from these construction companies. And it was something that you know attracted guys like me. There was dump trucks and jackhammers and backhoes and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and so, you know, one day I said, Hey, what do you, what do you guys do here? And, you know, I knew it, I knew someone that worked there and they said, well, we basically dig ditches. And I said, okay, well, I think I'm qualified for that. So um, <laughs> I needed money, you know, like anybody, I wanted to buy my first used car. I wanted to take my girlfriend out for pizza or go bowling with my buddies, whatever it might've been, you know? Right. So I said, I can do that. So in the summer times I did that full time. And then, in the winter, when I was in school, in high school, I had to um, work after school in the front office. So I kind of got the feel for both sides of the house, as they say, okay, right. the front and the back. Well, the cool part about that was when I got to 18, I had this decision to make whether I was going to go to college or whether I was going to, you know, per- just keep working and, and doing something with my hands like I had been doing. So the opportunity came to me where they wanted to open franchises around the country. And um, so they said, look it, you've been in the front, you've been in the back. I mean, you're 19 right now. Yeah. Why don't you take a shot at doing this? So I literally traveled the country and opened up companies from scratch on somebody else's dime, which was kind of cool. At the age of 19? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I traveled. I went to Chicago and Columbus and Cincinnati and Pennsylvania and, and all over opening these companies for these new owners that had no idea how to do it. You're going to be a 19-year-old listening to this saying, what am I doing with my life right now? <laughs> well, you know, and I got to tell you, Meryl, it was, it was pretty, there were times when it was kind of, you know, it was tough because here I am, I'm probably, 
you know, five, seven, 150 pounds soaking wet. And I'm talking to this union plumber in Chicago who's 6'2", 250. <laughs> and I'm telling him how I want him to do things. And he's like, who the heck are you to tell me this, you know? Okay, this whole image is in my head right now. Like, I'm seeing it happen as you're speaking. Oh, yeah. It, it was tough because I was winging it. I mean, I was faking it till I made it. It was oh, it was man. really something. So yeah. I, I did that for a number of years. I think it was three or four years I did that. Opened five places. And then I decided, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm done living out of a suitcase. I mean, it's no fun when you, when you bring your suitcase home on Friday and you <laughs> use half the stuff still in it when you go back out on Sunday. So, right. um, so I did that for, uh, I opened my company here in 1986. We started with six people and we have nearly 200 today. And um, it's just been one heck of a ride. That is so amazing. So inspirational. So we, when did the inspiration to write your book come come to play? Well, you know, that's a great question. So when you have a staff of 200 and, and most of them, it's their first or second job, you know, over a 35 year span, you're going to hire a lot of people. And I've probably hired 2000 people in that period of time. And I just noticed kind of a change in how well prepared people were. You know, okay. they were Everything was instantaneous and everything was about this Friday. No one was thinking about next month or next year. No one knew how to think about their future. Right. And um, around the same time, I, I almost became like this involuntary life coach. I mean, <laughs> I have no college training. I have no training whatsoever. No letters after my name, certainly. And I'm teaching people, you know, basic stuff like their first car, their first driver's license, their yeah. first in your credit card, checking account, apartment, wow. whatever. And we did a heck of a lot of visualization. I mean, it was right. all straight, super concentrated visualization about futures. And it just became like this thing around here that we, we started creating these entrepreneurially thinking um, employees. And, and it was just so cool because they were driving the company so, so much further than I could wow. do it on my own. And then one day my wife said, you know, you, you probably should get this information beyond the four walls of your company. And I just started writing down stories about myself and about my friends who were entrepreneurs, blue collar entrepreneurs. And um, 87,000 words later, it just kind of showed itself. And I don't know how it happened. Manal. I mean, but I, suddenly I had a agent and I had an editor and I had a publisher and I had this book deal and it became a bestseller last fall. And I don't. I didn't think it would go two two miles, much less twenty miles. And and uh, it's been really it's been really something. I'm I'm eternally grateful and very blessed to have this happen. So you said a couple things that really spoke to me. You 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 embodied the, a culture that created this opportunity for intrapreneurs, right? Uh, employees that act like entrepreneurs. Um, you became a life coach, a servant leader, an influential leader. Um, all these leadership qualities and culture, people call them soft skills. I'm a little, I, you know, I, I've changed my lingo a little bit around that because I don't think they're soft skills. They're necessary skills. They are these skills sure. to run a business. Yeah. Can you share a little bit about how you, what, how, what you believe about culture and leadership and then how you cultivated or keep that preserved within your company? Well, another great question. Thank you for that. So, I've probably said a hundred times in front of my staff, I can't get what I want, nor can my company get what it wants or needs until all of you get what you want first. And I absolutely own that. I absolutely believe that it's true because 
you have all these inputs into your company and then you have this output and you as an owner, you're at the end of that line. Okay. And so you better have a lot of people that are winning within your company. If you want to win yourself. Right. And the other thing is it's just too hard to do it all. I mean, I see these guys running themselves ragged and these gals running themselves ragged, running their companies because they feel like they want to do it all. I mean, right. it's almost an ego kind of thing. Yeah. You know, I, you know, they go home to their spouses and they say, how was your day, honey? And they go, oh, I solved this and I fixed that. And I answered <laughs> this and I repaired that. And I didn't want to work that hard. I, I just couldn't do it. So I decided I was going to surround myself with as many entrepreneurs as I could. Yeah. And then, and then have them decide the direction of the company and how far it could go, but then share with them that newfound revenue such that they were creating their own income. Yeah. And um, they drove my company to three, four, five fold what it had been doing 10, 15 years ago. Wow. And uh, it's, it's super fun because now I get to like step back and watch and input myself where I want to. Yeah. I, I'm not like stuck to a certain task. Right. And, and most of what I do is helping other people realize their dreams. I mean, that's, that's yeah. what I do. I push them to, to push themselves. But I think, I think, and I love that. Thank you for that. But I think what you're saying is if you are an entrepreneur out there, you need to learn to create the space so you can drive the direction of your company rather than, you know, be in the day-to-day -day operations, not able to see above it and really drive forward thinking, you know, what the future outlook looks like. So you've, you've created a whole bunch of, you know, um, you, you've basically created support system that's going to help you drive further, which I think that's one mistake. A lot of entrepreneurs, even myself, you know, you get so inundated in the day-to-day, -day, you want to make sure that things are done right. But maybe, here's a good question, Ken. How do you let go? If you're, uh, people can always learn. We, we self-develop, you know, know thyself. When you look at yourself in the mirror, you know, if you have an ego, if you have a problem letting go, you might not say it out loud. Yeah. <laughs> how, how does one go about, you know, changing their mindset to help them or whoever's listening out there really help them drive their company forward? Because there are a lot of entrepreneurs stuck in that rut. The first thing I would tell you is, you know, as an entrepreneur, I think you want to hover above your building and tear the roof off, hover above the building in a helicopter and just look down and see what's going on in there. Right. And you don't want to see yourself in the building. Okay. <laughs> so that's one thing right there. And that, that rubs a lot of people the wrong way. Cause they're like, but my whole identity is involved in that. Right. Yes, it is. But your identity is much better off if you're driving the company than working it. Right. Right. So tear the building off, the, the roof of the building off, sit in a helicopter above and just look down and watch and see what's happening. Okay. So th that, that's the first thing. The second thing is I wanted, I knew that I had a certain lifestyle that I wanted to, to achieve. And, and I'm not talking materialistic things. I'm talking about things that help me create awesome memories. Okay. Right. A great place to live. I, a lot of interesting things to drive, okay? Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, sports and hobbies that I have that would cause me to travel, like golf, okay? Right, okay. Um, pastimes like walking my dogs in the park. The dogs themselves are, are a joy, okay? Right. Um, I do a lot of charity work because I believe it's incumbent upon all of us to do that, to share yes. in our time, treasure, and talents. So when you put that whole picture together, and you can literally draw it, Manal and stick it on the wall yeah. and stare at it because what your brain sees, it, it attracts itself. What, what your brain sees very clearly and colorfully and vividly 
it attracts itself to whether you like it or not. So put that picture out there and then let go. The surprising thing is when you gather your people, what, you know, let, I, let's, uh, let's just say your core influencer people that you have in your office. When you gather them around you and you say, hey, what do you think this company could do next year? Here we are. What do you think? They're going to give you a bigger number than you would have given. I right. guarantee you. And then you say, well, how can we go do that? They're going to give you answers that you didn't have. And yeah. then you say, okay, well, then if we do that, I'm going to share in that bigger number with all of you. And then guess what? Get out of the way because they're going to say, hey, Ken, thanks for the opportunity. Get out, get out of the way and let us go do it. And that's the important thing. Yeah, no, that's great. Thank you so much. And I love that analogy. I'm not, you know what? That's inspiration. I'm going to draw it out and pin it on my wall so I can look at it. <laughs> Absolutely. So your book, um, Blue Collar Cash, how would an entrepreneur today listening, why should they go out and get the book and what benefit would they have or how would it drive um, their growth or their self-development in achieving, you know, in, in receiving the book? Well, the, the first thing is the, 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 almost the title is a little misleading because it's not just for blue collar people. It's for anybody who wants that was to gonna write. be my next question. So thank yeah. you. <laughs> you know, when the publisher, they, they love the cover and they love the title and, 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 and that's cool. I, I didn't want it to limit to blue collar side. It was more like lessons from a blue collar guy. Okay. Right. Who, who you would say, well, why should I listen to him? What does he know? Well, the fact, the fact that I don't know anything is perfect because all I have is experience. <laughs> So, so yeah, I think if someone gets the book, one of the, one of the surprise readers that I didn't see coming was an entrepreneur who said, I'm going to buy, you know, a handful of these and hand them out to all my staff. We're going to have once a week or once a month, we're going to have a, an hour long meeting based on a certain chapter. And we're going to turn the tide on how we've been thinking or limiting ourselves because we all put limits on ourselves. Right? So it, it turned into kind of a book club book. And that was that. cool because then what I did was I thought, well, that's a corporate uh, setting where they're, they're all responsible for reading the book and talking about it and putting those things into play. So then I thought, what about the individual who buys it? So I created this course. It's eight weeks. It's one hour a week and you can do it in a weekend if you want, but I really want you to think about it. And, um, this course will force you to take that book, which is normally like a trophy on the wall. Hey, look at all the books I've read. I don't yeah. remember what's in any of them, but look at all the, all the books <laughs> I read. Um, it forces you to take that course and, and, and change and use these concepts in the book. Right. And I guarantee you, you will be thinking differently when you're done with that exercise. I love it. I love it. Um, would this book also benefit one that has maybe an idea to launch, but hasn't taken the leap into entrepreneurship? Yeah, because I always say this, you know, I, I look at guys like Elon Musk and, you know, Richard Branson and, and, yeah. and um, you know, guys like Stephen Jobs and, and, you know, anyone who's an entrepreneur, okay? Um, I look at any of those types of people that are always in the news and they're always, you know, revered people. And I say to myself, what do they got? What do they have? Right. And I think the answer is they have this enormous ability to use the visual side of their brains. OK, yeah. I don't care whether you're, you know, female or male. I don't care where you come from, who you are. You have the ability for free with no training mm -hmm. to use the visual side of your brain. And I think those people do that in a better way than most of us do. But yet 
It's so easy because any one of us can do it. I always say this. People look at me and they go, oh, you're lucky. You're this entrepreneur guy. <laughs> and I go, okay, here's a piece of paper and here's a crayon. Can you draw entrepreneur for me real quick? They can't because it's a concept. It, it means something deeper than that, right? Right. So we all have the characteristics, the nine characteristics that I talk about in the book about about being a, a, an entrepreneur, we all own these characteristics. They're just kind of sleeping inside yeah, of us. Yeah, how do you unlock them, right? Yeah, you unlock them with the why. Like, why do I want to be successful? Why, right. What would my life look like if I was? How could I help other people? Right. How would I spend my money and my time? And when you answer those questions and you get a real clear picture, anybody can unlock those characteristics and yeah. have them come out. And that's what drives these new ideas forward. I love it. I love it. I, I, I agree a hundred percent unlocking those characteristics. And then I always like to say also letting go of maybe these pre perceived notions that we have as we become adults, like the fear of failure, right? Like yeah. um, what other people will say, um, all we, we, as we age, right? Look, children, they're, they're, the, the beauty about kids that we should learn from as adults is that they don't have those. Why, that's why they're more visual. They're more creative, right? They're able to, you know, have a better imagination. And we sort of restrict that as we grow up and, you know, adult and have, you know, a structure and accountability and societal norms. And we forget to keep in touch with, I would say, our imaginative and our creative side. Which I've got a, yeah, I've, I've got a great story about that. So, you know, I think the last time I held a crayon in my hand, other than after this, this, um, this book and everything I've done with it, the last time I held a crayon in my hand, I was probably like five years old. Right. I don't know. Yeah. Right? But I was also probably at my most creative point in my life because I had no lines to worry about. I, nope. I could draw whatever I wanted. It yeah. was draw a horse or a rocket or whatever you want to draw, you know, just do it. So when I have adults and I coach these adults, I'll have them take a box of crayons that they okay. haven't seen yeah. in years. And what do they do? They open the box and they smell the crayons and they pick <laughs> up the different colors, just like they did when they were younger, right? Yeah. But the cool thing is I had 20, I had 20 people and I said, I want you to all draw your, your, your perfect vacation. I want you to draw the vacation as you see it. Yeah. Manal, they were all different. Some went to Disney World, some went to the mountains, some were hiking, some were golfing, some were at the beach, some were, you know, whatever. They were, they were at, seeing some of the sites around the, the United States. Um, and, and, and all of the vacations pictures were completely different and they're drawn with their crayons and they're having <laughs> a great time doing it. And I thought to myself, well, this is interesting because as humans, at least, at least in, in, in my world, we're all so good at designing and anticipating a vacation. Right. You know, we think about, oh man, my toes are in the sand and I can feel the warm breeze and the palm trees are blowing and I can smell that copper tone lotion and I can hear that music and I can you know, steal drums, you know, and I can feel the, the sun on me in my beach chair. And, you know, I, you, you get that whole thing. I mean, you just kind of, you, you just, you attract yourself to it and you anticipate that for, for three months before you go. Well, if we're good at doing it, doing it for vacations, why can't we anticipate everything in our life? All those things that I talked about that you would draw, you need to anticipate those just as clearly as you would a vacation. And, and when you do that, 
you have like five or six anticipatory things happening at the same time. Some are a year away, some are 10 years away, some are 20 years away. But when you think of it, life just kind of pulls you along when you have that wind at your back. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, it's, I think living in anticipation is just, it's, it's the only way to live. No, I, I agree. And thank you for that. And wow, I can't, look at us, connect, look at us connecting. We're in sync. This is like, <laughs> we haven't actually met before. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. So, you know, um, when we get to this point, right, usually when podcasters come on or you're doing an interview, you've reached a sort of pinnacle of success, right? Share with us maybe moments where it was hard to move forward or, you know, entrepreneurship is like a marathon, right? And you have to persevere. And there are moments where, you know, you feel like you're not going to make it. Um, what advice do you have for anyone out there that maybe is in that mode? Like, how did you sort of help yourself get out of it or have you faced it? Well, I'm not going to recommend people do this, but I did this. So <laughs> I, I, it's in the book too. It's a funny story. So I, we had this, um, we were struggling in our first five years and, and every business you're underwater for the first couple of years. And then you start right. getting your nose above water and you can breathe a little bit. And then all of a sudden you're swimming on top of the water and you're feeling pretty good. And then you're making a little money and you're like, wow, that's why I started this place. And then you make a lot of money and you're like, this is awesome. I hope nobody takes this away from me now, you know? So it's yeah. like a cycle you go through, right? So in the middle of our struggles, it was probably like year four or five, you know, our Christmas party was the sum total of one bottle of champagne and a bunch of potluck stuff that people would bring in. <laughs> and you're talking about like 10 people, right? Yeah. So I remember that I got this gift and it was called a life clock. Okay. Okay. So you take this clock and this thing looked like a dragster. It was all painted really neat and it was really okay. cool. And you put this clock and you plug it in, put the battery in it, and you enter your age at that moment in time. And what this clock does is it calculates 78.3 quarter years, which was the average lifespan, at least at that time. And it subtracts how old you are. And then immediately starts spinning the hours and days or hours and minutes and seconds that you have left on this earth. Okay. So you're watching your life kind of disappear in front of you. And I didn't call it the life clock. I started calling it the death clock because it was like counting down the time. Well, you, I, I would leave the office and it would be spinning. I'd be, I'd leave on Friday, come back on Monday, and I'd go, "Oh my God, seventy-two hours have disappeared from my life here." Right. And um, the more I looked at that clock out of the side of my vision, the more I started to get mad at it. Right. So at one point, I was like, "Man, I'm going to be this wholly efficient person," and I didn't waste time on things I shouldn't waste time on, and I only wanted to talk to the people that I could be effective with, and that would lead me on, and you know all these different, you know, efficiency things that I was doing. Well, that was great because it taught me, gosh, how important time is. Yeah. I mean, we all take time so much for granted. You know, you start looking at years two, three years ago, and you're like, what even happened that year? I don't even remember that year, right? Um, so I, I think to, to really... To, to really take advantage and respect your time, I ended up taking that clock and smashing it into pieces and throwing it in my dumpster, okay, <laughs> after a while. But but it, it was an awesome lesson in being effective and being present and being aware and, and doing yeah. what you need to do. And, and also balancing your time with hanging out with your friends, you know, being with your family, 
taking care of yourself, uh, taking care of, of, of other people around you, giving yeah. back. You know, we have all these buckets that we need to fill equally. And right. if we're not careful of our time, it just eats alive all those positive things that we should be doing. Yeah. And then we wake up and go, man, what the hell am I doing? I, I, I haven't paid any attention to anyone, but yeah, this. so true. So, so true. Yeah. Oh my gosh, Ken, we, we, we need a, we need a, like we're BFS now because <laughs> one of the things that I teach is, and it's an old Buddhist proverb. Um, and it states that the biggest mistake humans make is that we believe time is on our side. Oh, for sure. Right? Yeah. Love and, that. Yeah. I might write that right? down. I like that. Yeah, write it down. <laughs> <laughs> write it down. Because it is true. It is so true. I went through the I and when I went through the same thing a couple years ago and I reflected and I was like, okay, maybe that, you know, I had hit so here's the thing. I hit 40. <laughs> and I sort of did the same thing. I didn't have a time clock and nobody gave me a present, but I was like, oh my God, the average age is X. I have this many years left. I've lived maybe yeah. more than half my life. Yeah. I'm like, what fuels me? What's my passion? I watched this great keynote speech um, by a gentleman by the name of Sean Anker. And he wrote this book about happiness. He, um, It's a Harvard paper that he wrote. And he wrote that we humans associate happiness with, a with let's say, a uh, event, an occurrence, some timeline in the future, right? And when we get to it, we naturally now up the ante or change what happiness looks like, right? right? But in perpetuity, we never actually achieve happiness because we're always chasing it rather than stepping back and making that your yeah. core foundation. Yeah, and that, that's so important. I, I love that point. And, and I, I can add to it in this way. I, I think that when you acquire things, you acquire the ability to create memories with those things. Right. Like, like you know, a, a, a fast car is just a bunch of parts unless you're racing it around the track with your brother and all your friends. Right. And taking pictures of that. Okay. A golf, a set of golf clubs is just a hunk of metal unless you're in Scotland on the first tee hitting a ball on the home of golf, St. Andrews. And, and that's the thing. I love to fill my whole house with photos of memories of things that I've done. I've got this rotating frame that rotates pictures on it, you know? Yeah. And it's right next to my morning protein shake stand where I create my, my first half an hour of the day. And I always look at that because it just reinforces all of the things that I was able to do to either help other people, help myself, help my family, or have a great time doing something. And um, I think that's really, really important because that keeps you in the now. Right. And, and it allows you to take a breather and right. not say, oh, my God, what's next? What do I got to do? Now, I'm a little I, – I don't mind chasing things as long as you're appreciating what you've had along the way. Yeah, being grateful. Okay? And being grateful for it. And, and yeah. I sit there and I drink that, that shake and I look at it and I just laugh of all the fun things that we've, had, we've been able to do. And um, I think that's important to have that gratitude for sure. I agree. Um, so tell us something, Ken. What is something that people maybe are surprised to find out about you? Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> well, somebody asked me this a long time ago. You know, I have this addiction to golf shirts, okay? Okay. So whenever I go to a new golf course, I have to buy a golf shirt. Wait, you're wearing a golf sweater now. I, I am. I, I am. <laughs> I just realized. <laughs> it, it's, it's nuts. Now, the good, the good news is my son-in-law is the exact same size as me. So whenever okay. I get a new one, I give him one. So now he's been all over, even though he hasn't been to some of these places. But 
Well, it's it's just a fun thing. I mean, it's like, you know, and, and all my buddies are the same. I mean, we're all like, gosh, if if I have a buy another blue golf shirt, I'm just going to not know what to do with myself. But um, yeah, that's just a quirky, fun thing that um, that uh, we love to do. We love to get together and travel and do those things. And a golf shirt is it's also a memory because now you can say, yeah, I remember being there. Yeah, based on that logo. So it's yeah, you've created, but but that's something we're sort of forgetting in this digital age. And I wonder how we can bring it back or balance it. But we can't forget our human side because we do have feelings and we do have fulfillment and a need and community and, um, you know, really in, ha creating experiences like we need that. Whatever era we're in, we need that as individuals. And I, I do think this is going to be a challenge go forward with re remote workplaces and how you bring your human to work and how you manage how as a leader, right, you bring your human side to a digital world because it's not easy. You have to be more purposeful, more engaged, more inspirational. Make sure that the feeling of you are part of the team is done in a very different manner, right? And it's not as easy. You know, that that's an awesome point. I, I think where we used to do things spontaneously because we didn't have this rat race all around us all yeah. the time, rat race of information, where we used to do things spontaneously, now we have to say, I'm going to plan my spontaneity, which right. does, it's it's antithetical. It's I mean, yeah. So I'm going to plan to do that, or I'm going to plan to walk my dog, or I'm going to plan to work out. or and, and on Monday, you have to plan you first and everything else second, including yeah. your job, by the way. That's very so good. You, you need to literally do that. And, and the other thing is we have, to, we have to remember that, you know, our brains are still loaded with emotions, but those emotions are a choice. One of the one of the most fun chapters I, I got to write in the book was the part about the five gallon bucket head and how how the, the emotions lift. They, they live on the top in that fifth gallon. And if you're not careful, you load too many of those in there. It's going right. to spill all over the place. So, you know, why would you walk around with fear and frustration and jealousy and anger when it's so easy to replace that with joy and wonderment and, you know, excitement and curiosity? I mean, it's a choice to do that. Now, people will say, well, anger is not a choice. If you slap me in the face, I'm going to be angry. Well, yeah, maybe. But that's still a split second decision you're making. Okay. And what you do next is the decision that you're making. So yeah, I think people, I think if people knew that they could be so much more in control of their emotions and, and say to themselves constantly, God, do I want to be thinking like this right now? I mean, do I want to be in this negative place? No, I don't. So let me change that. The power to do that is within all of us. And, it, right. and it's, it's easy and it's free and it's, it's something that can constantly work. So yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's a great point about who we think we are and, and yeah. what we carry around with us. Here's another old Buddhist proverb for you. You are what you think. Love it. Absolutely right. <laughs> and we somehow have changed that to you are what you eat in our uh, modern society. <laughs> right. <But> yeah. <laughs> the main lesson was sort of missed through centuries. Um, right. This is so great. Thank you, Ken. Um, so with all this, um, all your experience, is there a particular mentor or inspiration or something you go back to, um, you know, when you're needing a little push? Yeah, you know, I, I always go back to this this same mindset, and, and that is, you know, I want to be in control of my input, nobody else. 
I want to be in control of my output, therefore, nobody else. I want to be in control of the quality of that output. And I want to be in control of, the, of my schedule, my time, my day, my hours, my whatever. And ultimately, I want to be in control of my own financial gain. And I, I think sometimes we kind of live this um, if-then life, you know? If I went to high school and got a good ACT score and got a scholarship to a college and then went to school and then I got this, you know, this degree and then I got this job and if I get a job that pays well, well, then I can start living my life. That, that's, re that's absolutely backwards. Right. You have to live a, a, a then-if life, okay? Like, yeah. what's it going to look like when I get there? Because otherwise... And you've heard this before. You're either your life's either happening to you or you're happening to your life. And that's yeah. that's right. So I, I really believe that um, to constantly be thinking about I'm in control of my future. Nobody else is and, and owning it and picturing it and drawing it out and placing it somewhere because your mind will take you there almost subconsciously if you if you let it happen. And, and again, it's, it's an easy thing to do. I love that, Ken. That's such a good way to say it. And I hope, I hope there are some young souls listening to this who believe that that should be the path that, you know, get inspired by it because we didn't know, like I tell, my, I, I teach at the university and I tell my students all the time, like we grew up in an era where we didn't have the internet. Like the internet for me wasn't invented until I graduated high school, right? Yeah. So I'm like, and, and there also wasn't any Google, like I didn't, you know, I couldn't Google where I wanted to go, what I wanted to do. So we were as good as the home maybe we were in or right. an encyclopedia that we read or yeah, a teacher that? that influenced us. <laughs> like our sphere of influence was so narrow. And now I, I feel like. I, and I, I understand all the cons around, you know, oh, the digitization and all the information, but there's also so many pros. And I'm like, oh, my God, like you guys are living in this beautiful world where you have information at your fingertips and you're seeing like young, young. I mean, I have students who are already, you know, they're like, I don't know. I mean, I'm already sort of starting to breach six figures in my company. And I'm like, oh my God, congratulations. Yeah. And they're running like e-commerce sites. And I'm just, it's amazing. It's amazing. Well, you know, you're right. Because if you, if you take one of these cell phones and this, this is part of the issue with even blue collar workers. Okay. So when I was younger, there was something called shop class in high school and you okay. could walk down, you could walk down the, the hallway and you could see someone changing a transmission on a, on a Mustang or doing somebody's hair, or, you know, you could see someone building a, a, a barn or you could see someone wiring an outlet or welding something or whatever. Yeah. And you would, you would almost accidentally discover how cool those things were to do. Um, that went away and we put computers in those rooms, which I always wondered why'd they do that? Why was it one or the other? Why couldn't it, we had both? I mean, we had to learn computers. I get that, but not at the expense of this experience. So you, you have that working against kids. And then, you know, you, you got these things, these cell phone things where instead of going in the backyard and building something out of wood and lumber and hammer and nails, you're, you're building cities on Minecraft. And that's not the same experience. I mean, Minecraft is cool, but it's not the same as going out in the backyard and creating right. something for yourself. Well, if you add those two things to the fact that colleges are really awesome at shaming you into thinking, if you don't give them all your money and learn one of their degrees, you're going to be a nobody. Right. They're so good at doing that. And um, so that's created this 
unbelievable opportunity because the supply is getting lower and demand is getting higher. Right. And you know, you know as well as I do from finance, that's where the money goes. Right. And so now we're seeing carpenters, plumbers, electricians making in excess of six figures in just their first three or four or five years of working. It's wow. it's really insane, and, and it's an opportunity for those to think about. Yeah. So tell us, um, what's next for you? Well, as I said before, I'm always anticipating something. I mean, okay. we're we're, yep. we're going to build our fifth new headquarters. My my son and, and my my son-in-law and my daughter are actually architects, and they're going to be designing that. Oh, um, wonderful! So, yeah, so we're going to build another. I'm I'm so good at predicting how big my buildings need to be that this is my fifth one. If that tells <laughs> you anything, so. We're going to be doing that, and then um, we've got some other things in 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 the construction world that we're going to be starting. I'm I'm, I'm going to help my my son and, and and my son-in-law get into some different things, and and my daughter as well. And um, it's just been a lot of fun. And and I've always got something that I'm anticipating. I mean, I'm going to go travel some more, and I'm going to play some more golf somewhere I haven't been yet, and and uh, you know take the boat somewhere I haven't been, and um, just just have fun, you know, as, as much as I can. Um, but yeah, there's always something cooking. There's always something to be anticipated. Yeah. That's the way I like to live. So for, for our golfer listeners, where where do you gravitate towards as your top place that you golfed? Or well, I have to tell you, I played I played at the Masters at Augusta and that I mean you know, the Augusta, Augusta, that place is just fantastic. Yeah? It's okay. everything you see. It's everything you see on TV and more. And all the memories that flood in when you walk those fairways, that that's pretty crazy. You know, there's also a place called Cypress Point out in California where every hole has a tidal wave coming right by you. And oh, it's wow. like it's like Hawaii Five-0. It's the prettiest scenery I've ever seen in my life. And almost hard to focus on golf. And then there's Scotland. I mean, Scotland is where it all started and there's just su such amazing memories. I mean, to step on a golf course that's been there for six or seven hundred years. Oh my gosh! And 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 to sit at one of those pubs and put your elbows on the bar oh, wow. that's been there for seven hundred years. Yes. It's, it's really wild. That's a very different different experience, different feel. That's yeah. so awesome, Ken. Having you on has been so inspirational. I myself am starting a new journey, so you've definitely you know, sort of inspired me. I started reading the book and I can't wait to finish the rest of it. Um, as you know, we wrap up here, are there any parting words or last words you have for our audience? Well, just as I said before, I, I think that um, giving back is incumbent upon all of us. I mean, you know, to whom much is given, much is expected. There's no doubt about that. And um, I do that in a lot of different ways. I have for, for years and years and years. And um, in, in this latest version, I, I've created this course, and it took me two years to build it. And, you know, I've seen courses go for two, $3,000. No, that's not what this is about. This is about giving back. So I just cover my costs. I, it's $129, and you get a free book with it. And this course will help you change the way you look at your life. For I love sure. it. Um, now, the good thing there is, if you buy one of these courses, you have the opportunity immediately to donate one to a friend or a neighbor, you know, uncle, aunt, son or daughter, nephew, whoever, grandson, whoever it might be. You have the ability to donate one for free to them. Oh, wow. So that, so that just know that if, if you're helping yourself, you're going to help somebody else in the process. And, you know, that's that's pretty cool. I think we should all be uh, supportive of stuff like that. Oh, my God, Ken, that is so cool. 
That Thank is so you. awesome. Actually, I might take advantage of that myself. I really appreciate it. <laughs> I hope so. Let me know what you think. I think it's pretty cool. We're real proud of it, but uh, I could always use the feedback. So yeah, and Ken, uh, that's that's so awesome. I I appreciate all your um, candid feedback what it's like to, you know, run a company and be an entrepreneur. And I think at the end of the day, it always comes down to the same thing. Anyone can run a process, right? But your mental grit, your mental fitness, how you help others grow and lead and become their own intrapreneur, entrepreneur spirit, like mm -hmm. all these things should be top of your priorities as a company or starting a company. And I, yeah, I love the how you say that. Yeah, there, there's no doubt. It, it's it's such a better way to to be, to work, to live, to have your daily your daily life. It's so much better to have a whole group of people that are all rowing in the same direction, and they're doing it for selfish reasons as well as corporate reasons at the same time. That's a that's an important thing. Right. So let them be selfish, and you know, selfish doesn't mean at the at the, the detriment of others. It's it's selfish supporting of self. So let them be that way, and, and you'll see your company fly, I guarantee you. Um, and if you want to learn more about what we're doing, you can go to KenRusk.com, and you'll see all the stuff that we've going there. You can see the book and the course and, and all the blogs we have. And, uh, you know, just trying to help out and see what we can make happen. Awesome. Thank you so much, Ken. And in our show notes, we're going to link um, the book, your website, the course, everything for everyone to be able to take advantage of, which seems like that's definitely such a steal and a great deal. And starting off 2023 with a bang and learning and giving is, I mean, what, what more could you ask for, right? Exactly. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in. On each episode, we will continue to bring on successful, dynamic individuals to dig deep and share stories that will inspire you to power up your life. This show is packed with unrivaled storytelling and no reservation advice. Tune in now by searching Power Up with Manal wherever podcasts are found. Please show us just a little bit of love by leaving a review and hitting that subscribe button. This helps our small production get reach and voices heard globally. Let's power up together, baby.